Shall I identify myself first of all? And I'll say, I'm Simon Elms, and I was until to the end of 2014. No, I was until 2015 creative director of the BBC Radio Documentaries Unit. Um, documentary and feature. It's a problem, it's a question that people often ask, and that doesn't matter. It doesn't, it isn't really significant. We in the BBC used to have a radio features department, radio features unit. And then they changed the name, and it became the Radio Documentaries Unit. Programs were the same, nothing changed. The reason why the change, the change was simply because people felt that the word documentary made more sense to people than the word feature. Now, there is a difference in my head, and that's for me and for some people, that a documentary is everything that is a document, a, a, a factual document. So it could be a, an investigative documentary. Somebody goes to find out why something happened and perhaps talk to politicians or to uh, people in industry to explain why something went wrong, something was bad, something happened. It could be an investigative documentary. And feature doesn't really cover that particular form of documentary. Feature tends to be a more imaginative, artistic, creative form of factual programming. However, so the word documentary embraces everything. Feature, in my mind, in my head, is more creative, it's more imaginative, it's more personal. It uses some of the techniques of drama, it can use some of the techniques of drama, but the word documentary is perfectly good for all these term, these different forms of factual programming. So when it's International Feature Conference, that means that uh, it's for features or it's for documentary? I don't think it matters. I think I really don't think it matters because you can hear programs at the IFC at the International Features Conference. You can hear programs which are they're all documentaries, they're all documents, they're they're human documents, they're documents, factual documents. But some of them are sound pieces, sound art, and which in in a formal sense are not investigative at all they're just sound they're creative they are you know they are creations from like Finnish radio atelier or the atelier de création radiophonique from radio france um from between the ears in in britain these are more imaginative areas everything is there so as far as the ifc is concerned there is no difference and i think to argue a difference of style is pointless let's 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 think of what a documentary is a documentary is factual that is to say it is not fiction therefore it is real stories of real life told by real people in the re in in real time in the first person they are saying 
I lived this life, this is what happened to me, I'm going to tell you about it. They're factual. So the first difference is factual versus fiction. The second thing is that they are made, they are not live. They are conceived as a created piece of radio. They are arranged by a, produ a producer, an author, depends where you come from, what, 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 which term you use. Somebody, uh, there is a creative person who is arranging these elements, which may be these recorded documents, they may be archival documents, that is, recordings from the past. There may be what we call, in English, actuality, which in German is Oton. It's raw audio, sound. It could be called wild track. It's another term. Sound that is captured in the raw, in live, as it were, which is recorded, but which is recorded in a location. Sound effects as well. It's another term. It also contains music, perhaps, if that is required, um, and can have readings. That is, somebody you have a text which is read by you or by an actor, by somebody. So there are many different component parts. None of them is obligatory. Certainly not all of them are obligatory. However, they are, if you like, that forms documentary technique. The technique of documentary is to use these different elements, some, not all, and arrange them in such a way as a created piece of radio that makes a good story. So what are we? there are diverse elements of real life interpreted in different ways, arranged in a pattern, perhaps with somebody to guide you, a narrator, a presenter, a voice to help, because it's radio, so we don't can't put words, it's radio. So we have a, perhaps a presenter, but not necessarily. We can have a collage, a montage, of just all these elements put together to tell a story. But it's telling essentially a factual story. That is the key difference. It is not fiction. And, of course, there can be elements of um, imaginative elements in the program which fringe towards fiction. But, essentially, it is factual. And I think that's the only way I can define it. So what you call it, whether it's documentary or feature, really doesn't matter. It's the, it's the, the components and the methodology that matter. You know, I just often talk about documentary technique. Uh, there are programs that we broadcast on the BBC which are not features, but they use documentary technique. And so you could class them as documentaries. And I would class them as documentaries, but in terms of the International Features Conference, you probably wouldn't call them features. So, but they are stylistically, they obey all those rules about being factual, containing interviews, containing narration, containing archive, and so on. Why should be people interested in listening to radio features or documentaries? Hmm. Why should people be interested in listening to them? 
because people are interested. Well, pe because people have the habit of listening to the radio. I mean, there is a lot of uh, ingrained habit about what we do in our lives, whether it's watching television or listening to the radio. We like to hear things beyond our own circle. So we like to listen to other people's stories. And because we like stories, and the best features all tell stories, some sort of human stories. They're about people who have lived things that you haven't lived, probably. So they are, if you see um, a description of a program that says, Teresa meets the first person to have walked on the moon and tells the story of the first moon landing, I want to hear, because I haven't been to the moon, but I want to hear the documentary about that first... That, if this is an opportunity to hear something that I can't hear, that I can't live myself. So we are curious. Um, the network that I work for most often in the BBC had as its, as its slogan for a while, not, not now, it, called, it, it was for curious minds. For curious minds. We're curious. We want to know. Curious in the sense of inquisitive. We want to know. And so we, we, we tune into the radio to find out what it's like to walk on the moon or to discover what the inside of um, a car factory is like. We, we're curious. We're curious people. And human beings are curious. And we're curious about each other. We want to know about somebody's lived experience. So factual programs have a, a natural attraction. I don't know, we can look at photos or something and maybe that's enough. People, like in Czech Republic, it's very common that people say that radio is dead. Is it common in the world too? Can a picture talk to you? I mean, I when I hear a voice that has lived, I interviewed a a woman who was in Los Angeles 25 years ago and she was a, a young woman then but she was she was telling me the story of uh, something that had happened to her 12 years earlier and I spent a day with her and I interviewed her for eight hours eight hours she had had a horrifying experience she had been raped but that was only part of it she had been taking a bath innocently in her house in Los Angeles and suddenly she discovered just like in the film Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock something, a shadow appeared on the shower curtain and it was the shadow of a gun and a young man had come into her apartment, into her house, her house and she was naked in the bath she was taking a bath I mean, it's a terrifying experience, absolutely. Not to, to mention the fact that she, he, he raped her, which was the most terrible crime. But this woman expressed it all in such a way. She hadn't really revisited the scene for 12 years. And I sat where I'm sitting. I was on the floor listening, interviewing her, and she just went into a trance and told the story. And in her voice, when you listen to it now, if I played it to you, I have it here, 
if I played you that interview now, you would hear her, the way she stopped and thought and then recaptured, as I'm doing it now, that way she spoke. And she said, I had a terrible feeling that this young man had had a bad life. And she told the story of how, in fact, although he imprisoned her for eight hours, and as I say, raped her several times, she had complete com compassion for this man because he had had a life of drugs and crime and had no hope. And the humanity of this woman, who had had the most dreadful thing happen to her, came through in her voice. It was all in her voice. And I could take a photograph of her. You would not know anything about this. The experience, not the experience of seeing her, the experience of hearing her, was to enter into the feeling. Because radio, which has no pictures, has the most powerful pictures because they are the pictures that we have inside our heart, inside our head. They are the pictures of feelings. And so when this young woman told me her story in that voice that paused, that thought, and then with a sigh, ah, that sigh was just, it was the voice. and. You felt her feeling of distress, but also compassion. And I, that moment was, you know, amongst many, why radio is so powerful. No, radio is, of course, not dead. Radio is the perfect, audio is the perfect form for the Internet age. You don't have to have a visual screen. You don't have to have, you can just carry it in your pocket. It's small, it's easy, it's portable, it's available. That is a danger because there's so much available, but it is the perfect, in a fast-moving, time-poor world, radio, audio is the most perfect medium because it communicates. It communicates when it works really well. It communicates feelings and emotions that cannot be communicated in the same way by pictures. So... Certainly radio is not dead. And indeed, look at the statistics. The statistics at the BBC. Television, the numbers have dropped by two-thirds in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, radio are going up. Hard, difficult, factual radio is going up. Television is dropping. Why? Because radio is more suited to the way we live. So I, I say that I'm, I no longer work for, in radio, and I, you know, I say that as an observer. It's true. I have a far, you know, we all have busy lives. Radio is very convenient. It's it's perfect. For, so the answer is no. Certainly, audio is not dead. It may not be radio as we know it, knew it, but it is now. It's certainly not dead. No way. All right, uh, now let's look at features, like features. So what's the structure of proper feature? Like Structure. Yeah. I am by nature a structuralist. I think 
I think it's something to do with my upbringing, my education, that I think structure is very important. Um, you may call it dramaturgy, but or use a, 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 another clever term, but I call it structure. And that's what, in the British tradition, in the English tradition, we tend to call it a structure. And we think about structure as being fundamental because it's the opposite of the sort of structure that live radio, live radio, particularly talk radio in the American style, which is freewheeling conversation, and you stop when the stopwatch says, time to stop. That's not structured. Yes, you may have a structure of questions, but basically it's not structured. It's structured only in as much as we have a segment of this, we have a segment of that, we have a segment of the other, but basically it's not structured like a feature is structured. And why is a feature structured? Because it is an arrangement. I said you have components, different elements that you mix together. It's like deciding what order to play cards in a game. You say, okay, I will play this card. This is the first thing that I need to need the listener to hear because that tells them something interesting. It says, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this because it's interesting and because I think you will be absolutely fascinated by this. So that's the, that's the opening moment. It could be anything. Every program is different. Every feature is different. So I can't tell you what it is, but it's the moment where you say, as we say about uh, going for a swim, come on in, the water's lovely. That's what the opening moment is in a, in a feature. And you have a... It can be anything. It can be, where do you start a programme? Where you start where you want it to start, where you think it should start, to excite the interest of the listener, but also to tell them enough about it so that they are engaged with it. And you have a final point where you will end the feature. Well, it could be the end of the story. It could be a halfway ending. It could be because some stories are never finished. They are just going on, but you may need to, you need to end with a conclusion, some sort of sense of conclusion, a close, even if it isn't the end of the story. And then you have the bits in between, the pieces in between. And that is, as a program, for a listener, it's the narrative of the program. It is the way the program unfolds. But for you as the program maker, you have all those cards and you can play them in whatever order you want to your own advantage, the way that works best for you. And the way that works best for you is the way that works best for telling the story to the listener. And that may be that you hold back some pieces of information. You are omniscient. You know everything. You have all the elements. You have the archive. You have the interviews. You have the possibility of writing the narration. You have music. You have possibly readings. You have these, other, these components. And you tell the story in such a way as you say, ah, but what happened next? Because that's the motor of... The, of storytelling. Curiosity, it's back to this word being curious. What happened next? <sighs> but t tell me, tell me what happened next? No, 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 please. Don't no 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 don't. But you 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 know it some some people tell stories well, some people tell stories badly. Um, and I think it's important that the good storyteller, the good producer arranges those elements in such a way as you are given the information that you want, 
but not all of it. So you withhold information for various reasons. Sometimes because there's too much information, you can't give them too much information in one time. So you have to wait and hold some of that information back. Sometimes it's artistic to make sure that, ah, you thought that that was the story. I'm now going to change your mind. Because we are driven by changes of mood, changes of event. And that is another way of maintaining this interest that the listener has in the story. So how you arrange those elements, whether it's by a surprise, by a change of direction in the story, a twist, uh, something that, that makes you think that everything is all right, and then suddenly, no, it's not all right, everything is about to go wrong. All these changes of element, whether they are new characters introduced into the story, and I mean, it depends on what the story is, what the programme is. It, it, it is a matter of personal taste, and it is very far from the sort of investigative journalism that we talked about at the beginning, about the idea of documentary being, and it could be doc investigative. Because if you're doing an investigation, what do you do with an investigation? You say, here's the problem, here's some evidence, now we'll say, here are some people who are responsible for it. We ask them some questions. It's a very, it's not always that way, but it is, as, it is logical. It's logical because it is more akin to a, a thesis, a dissertation. Whereas when you're making a feature, it isn't like that at all. You're telling a story, which is not the same thing. So... There, that's where I think you asked at the beginning about the difference between feature and documentary. I would say that that element of changing the, the order in which you play the story out is possibly what makes the difference between feature and documentary. But, as I say, it doesn't matter. I hear the mobile phone. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 it's, it's okay. Not... not I'll turn it. I'll turn it off. I'll turn it off. Or you can just. This room is very susceptible to it. It seems to me there was yeah. a lot of lot of there was a lot of mobile interference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh God, sorry. Hold on. No, no, no. It's okay. It's all right. There we go. I turned it off. Um, right, gone. Thank you. What does feature mean to you? What does feature mean to me? Uh. Well, I think I've told you. I mean, feature is, um, feature is, feature can be the most imaginative form of radio. I mean, a feature, that when you think about it, the word feature, a feature can be a feature, a landscape feature, a geographical feature, a mountain, a river, a hill. That's a feature, a feature on a map. A feature can also be a facial feature, a nose, a cheek, an eye. That's a facial feature. A feature can be in journalistic terms, a big feature article is a, in other words, spread, a large space of storytelling, journalism, in a newspaper. And the, the use of feature in radio has been borrowed from that journalistic use. So it's a special program. It's a special report. It's a special moment. So the, the thing that I think defines feature is that it is not ordinary, it's not regular, it's not routine, it's not part of, it's not news, it's not magazine, it's a f something special. And I think that that is the quality that I would ascribe to feature. I can think of, 
you know, I can think of specific features that I have heard in my career, whether, you know, from anywhere, from the UK, but from France, from Germany, from Austria, from Sweden, Denmark, that for me, that stood out as being special. And it is that specialness of factual, it's a special factual program. Does that answer you? Well, partly, but like for you, it means like you, you, you know, you, you do it all your life. Is it like your? No, not only. No, no, no. I, I have been a technician. I have been a reporter. I have made many magazine programs, and they're very different magazine programs. I have written lots of text, written words, um, and I have made features and I have looked after other people's features. Um, so I've done a, quite a lot of, and I've even done a bit of television as well. So I've done quite a lot of different sorts of broadcasting. Um, and radio feature is what I've enjoyed most, but I also enjoyed magazine programs. I mean, I, you know, I, I ran a, a magazine program for 12 years. Um, I did other things as well, but I, I was the editor of a magazine program for 12 years. Um, and um, I loved that. It was a different sort of broadcasting. I mean, it had features, little features in it, but broadly speaking, it was conversation, interview, and it was very enjoyable. It was enjoyable listening, and it was enjoyable to work in. So, yes, I mean, I, I, I think feature is one of the different sorts. I've done, even done a little bit of drama as well. So, uh, I, I'm, for me, it's where I'm most comfortable, and it's most I've, it's the it's the element that I enjoy most. It's I find most exciting, uh, personally. But I can understand that it wouldn't be the same for everybody. If you're a drama producer, you know, factual would be boring because it's so limiting in a way because you you can't invent. Is that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm happy now. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. So, what is International Feature Conference? What is the International Features Conference? Well, the International Features Conference is very simply, um, it's a festival. It's a festival of radio feature making. It's a grouping of people from all over the world who come, who's who's who come to listen to and to discuss the content of radio documentary. And uh, every year, about 23, 24 documentaries are chosen from probably twice that number uh, to uh, represent countries from all over the world. And they are listened to sections of them, usually not the complete program, but are listened to, um, and then discussed in, in discussion groups, which are very carefully uh, chaired, so that you can listen, so you can balance discussion. It's a, f you know, you say it's not, it's more than I like this program because, or I didn't like this program because. You try to analyze what. It's, it's, if you like, it's a training exercise for young people who, who are less experienced, but at the same time, it's also an ear-opening uh, festival for people who've made lots of programs, many programs, and who need to hear what's new. Um, 
in addition to these listening sessions, which are the about 80% of the, uh, the content of the IFC, there are opportunities for lectures, big auditorium lectures by significant people in broadcasting and outside, and there are also workshops um, in special specialist workshops in craft skills like recording techniques, microphones, um, dramaturgy, scenes, the some of the elements in making programs. So it's it is essentially a festival of ra of factual radio program making, mm -hmm. and it's been going since the late nineteen sixties. Well, I've been involved in the International Features Conference since. Uh, I think the first one I went to was probably in, it was about 2000, 2001. I think the first time I went to the IFC was in, uh, and I went to Australia. It was held in Sydney. Um, I think that was the first one I went to. Um, and it hasn't really changed substantially in that time. I mean, a few new elements have been introduced, but basically it's been the same. And... Because the personnel have changed, the, the, there, there, there were in those days uh, a number of very, very experienced and very powerful radio uh, program makers uh, who, who, who would come every year and whose word was quite very strongly, you know, that, that was the law. And it's evolved, like radio has evolved, everything's evolved. And so I, last year we, we heard pieces which were very much internet-based programs, which was fine, which is how it should be. And there is a fresh, you know, every year there's a fresh group of people who join, and that's absolutely what keeps it alive. What's the future of the conference, what do you think? Well, I think uh, I'm, I'm a great believer in change. I'm a great believer in, in evolution. I think that if, if you don't change, if you don't move forward, then you're going backwards because everybody else, the whole of society is moving forward in some way or another. There are new apps being discovered. There is some being invented. There are new elements being, you know, new chips being made, new uh, for, for, for mobile phones and mobile phones can do different things. New uh, social media are being invented. Every other hour something new comes on the scene and suddenly some of them work some of them don't some of them are popular some of them aren't and every single one of them though offers a new possibility for communication a new possibility for telling stories and i think that if you don't adapt you die i think you it's in effect you're going backwards everybody else is going forwards if you stand still then you're going backwards in effect and i think that the International Features Conference really needs to think about what are the components, what are the essential elements that uh, are its lifeblood. And I would say they are the people, the people who come, because the people who come are the people who make, and the people who make, if they're young, are have freshest ideas, but they often have things to learn. So. I wouldn't want to throw away the elements of the job, elements of the IFC that are classical, but I think they we we need so dramaturgy, structure, 
storytelling, practical things like sound. Bad recordings are bad recordings whenever they're made. So good recording technique is really important. I was okay. I was a technician once, but I yeah I hear at the BBC we ha used to have very poor recordings, and I worked very hard because I heard what Scandinavia they used better microphones, they had better microphone technique, and I said we cannot in the BBC go on producing poor work like this. You have a problem? Well, it's not mine. No, I think there is a problem. There's a transmission problem through here. It's, yeah. it, it, it was always... I don't think it's your phone. I think it's yeah. something to yeah. do with the... There was, a, there was interference on the headsets all the time. And it was on this line. It was where they had the booths. Mm -hmm. Is it still doing it? No. Okay. So I, think, I think it was on this axis. It was a... It may be, you know, yeah. there's the power cables there. Who knows? So, it's sorry, sorry, no. So I'm I'm saying that I think that the classical components are really important. You 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 should maintain the classical components, but still be aware of all the new possibilities and the the innovation is. Let's let's keep re-examining what it is that makes a good radio feature, and it may change, but it may you know the core of it may be the same, which is good voices, well recorded. I was saying that I was used to be a technician and bad, bad recordings are bad recordings, whether they're on a beautiful machine like this one or, or whether they're on a cassette recorder. I played a recording that was made, I played a recording yesterday which was made on a cassette recording, a cassette recorder, one of the first very good but cassette, ordinary, one tiny, tiny magnetic tape and it was as good I think, as many digital recordings, because it was well recorded. It was m made by somebody who knew how to use a microphone properly. And that is important. That is absolutely vital that our recordings remain really good. So that never changes, and that will not change. That cannot change. That, that is, that's the, you know, it's like a good image. You know, the image has to be good. You can deform it, you can change it, you can... Did, you know, degrade the image, you can degrade the sound, but the original has to be good. So telling people how to record well is important, and we every generation needs to know that. Yeah, well, that's true. We, we actually, we need, I think we need some workshop for, like, how to record, because no one teaches. <laughs> no, nobody yeah. teaches anymore. It's, it's, yeah. and, and it's very simple. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's very easy. Maybe you can do a workshop with <laughs> recording here. I think it would be, you know, great. <laughs> Everyone would attend, I think. Yeah. And what kind of features uh, can we hear on the IFC? I mean, like, is it, you know, uh, best features from all these countries? Or is it, like, interesting features? Or, you know, what kind of features? Well, I mean, I, I think the problem is that Every IFC is only as good as the programs that are submitted and are chosen by the selection committee. And unfortunately, there have been, in recent years, too many programs which have been not quite the best. And why is this? Because, well, the IFC is not a competition. 
it's a, as I said, it's a festival. There are two, possibly three big international competitions uh, in radio features. That's the Pre-Italia is number one, the Pre-Europa number two, and the Third Coast number three in America. And those are proper competitions with money prizes. And broadcasters tend to want their best programs to be submitted for those prizes, because for obvious reasons. So they may not send their best work to the IFC. Sometimes they do, sometimes they send them to both. But there's a sense at the IFC that if you've heard it once, will it be feel as fresh when it's heard at the pre-Europa? Now, I can remember when the program called Woman Found, Hugo Lovett's program, uh, Woman Found Dead by Lakeshore, was heard at the IFC, and we all sat around saying, this is the most wonderful program. It's just a stunning, stunning piece of programming. It's absolutely brilliant. And we said, you know, this is just, a, you know, the best. Beautifully made, wonderful story, wonderfully told, beautifully recorded, amazing access, the whole thing. And then by the time we got to the pre-Europa in October, that was, you know, the pre IFC is in May and the pre-Europa is in October. By the time we got to October, those of us who'd been at the IFC thought, mm, do you know what, I've listened to the rest of the programme and it wasn't so good. I didn't think, oh, it was still good, but it was not, is it really going to win the pro It won. Because for the delegates who were at the pre-Europa, they were hearing it the first time. For me, hearing it a second time or a third time, the, the magic of the story, which was absolutely compelling, had sort of slightly evaporated because it was, I wasn't hearing it for the first time. So the answer is, do they, you ask the question, do you hear the best? The answer is not always. And there are sometimes, for political reasons, um, pieces that are included, which are not good. I can tell you that when I ran the IFC in London in 2012, um, I was asked by the chair of the group to include a program which we all agreed was not of good quality. But it was a very important moment in the history of Europe that the country, and I won't mention which country, be represented at the IFC. And I agreed that we should, we all agreed that this country should submit a program, although it wasn't the highest quality, and it was played. So the answer is sometimes there is a little element of compromise, as in all diplomatic things, it's international, and there are diplomatic compromises. But in principle, you have the best work, or the nearly best work, from every country. And I think it's always good if there's not such a good program because of the discussion. That Absolutely, that's true, yes. Yeah. Because you can say, it's the, I think the uh, outgoing chair of the uh, selection committee, Lorelei Harris from RTE, who is the most wonderful head of, she's been the most wonderful chair 
of the IFC selection committee and, and steering committee for many years now, and she's about to retire, and she's a most wonderful person. Uh, Lorelei has always felt that the IFC was a teaching forum. It's a festival. I said it's a festival of feature. And as such, it is a teaching opportunity for countries, for individuals, to learn values about how to make radio, how to make really good radio, how things work, and, as you say, how things don't work. So it is important that people hear critical voices expressed in a friendly way. It's a friendly, it's the friendly games, it's the friendly uh, festival. Because nobody, there are few real nasty moments, bad moments. Mostly people say very positive things. They say, I like your program. I wondered about the characterization. Could we have heard this character sooner? Or could we have that event have been delayed? Or, you know, there's a, there's a discussion which is always positive and that people learn from. And that idea that Lorelei espouses, that it is a learning forum for people who are inexperienced, whether it's through their country being less developed in terms of having a less developed radio feature culture, or that they are young and they have, you know, they have some wonderful fresh ideas, but they have to learn some of the old, old truths. All that is really important. So it's a wonderful learning opportunity. If you look up the origins of the IFC, Peter Leonhard Brown was the the person who, 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 with two other people, came together at the end of the 1960s and realized that there were, there were some real common ground, there was some real common ground about radio documentary. It, I mean, I'm trying to think back to what was happening at the end of the 1960s as far as I was concerned. I don't, I mean, in, in the UK there was some very interesting documentary work, but I, it, documentary was sort of slightly waning at that moment. It's not a, not a good, particularly good period. Um, it was changing. And Leo Brown and two others came together and said, they met and said, why don't we just found a little gathering? And it was very small to begin with. I mean, let Leo tell you the full story because he was the person who, who started it with his two colleagues, uh, international colleagues. And then it became... Uh, this long-running and now quite old uh, festival. And that's why it's, to, to stay young, it has to change, that's what I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. The future of feature, actually. Like, now we are putting some pictures there or something. Do you think that will happen, like, to all features or to all documentaries, all actually to radio, like, itself? Like putting, you know, pictures and. Stuff. I think we have to. I think we have to take the long view, Teresa. I think the, that nothing suddenly changes. I mean, we have the changes in technology of the last thirty, twenty, thirty years, the arrival of the internet. I think we have yet to gauge exactly how huge that change has been. I mean, I I've lived it. I remember the first internet opportunities, the first emails. I remember very clearly, because I made a, an item about it on a program, and about some people sending emails from California, and it was 1991, 92. It was not that long ago. However, 
in that time between 1992 and 2017, um, we have gone through a huge, huge, huge revolution of technology, of communication, of social mobility and the way we communicate amongst ourselves. And we're seeing the political fallout, political ramifications of that all the time now. And I don't think we have properly got to grips with what it, the actual consequences of that uh, digital revolution are going to mean. So judging whether uh, uh, radio feature has changed, frankly, I mean, we listened here to a feature made by uh, Edwin Brees in 1993 called Everyday Something Disappears, and it was a classical feature. It could be broadcast today. You wouldn't change it in any way whatsoever. So has has the form changed? Well, it has changed, but it hasn't completely changed. So you can take a program from 1993, exactly the same moment when the internet was being born, and look at it and listen to it now, and you would not worry at all about whether this was an old program or a new program. It's eternal. It's not changed. So the answer is some things evolve in different ways, different ways of consuming documentary have changed. I think that there was an idea back in the 1950s when television was very new that people sat and listened to the radio like that. They sort of two, they had a speaker and they sat down and listened to, as we called it in English, the wireless. And I don't think this was ever true. I mean, I listened to the radio when I was a child. I grew up listening to the radio. But I was always doing things. I was playing. I was, I was only giving it half my attention. I was never all ears. I was never sitting there completely devoted to radio. I was a great radio listener. But how much attention did I give it? I don't know. So I think that there are fictions about what, how we listened in the past. And certainly by the time you get to the 1960s, 70s and 80s, people were listening while they were eating breakfast, they were listening to features while they were eating dinner, they were listening to features while they were sewing or knitting or ironing or doing something at home. It was a secondary activity and it was never just sitting in front of the radio and listening all ears. So I think that the idea that it has become something that you do when you're doing something else is not new. So that is one element. And so I think that is not changed at all. However, how we listen in the means by which we listen to radio has changed because of this internet revolution. So in the way that, you know, I used to have a transistor radio, which I would could be a little one, and I had a big one, and I had a bigger one. And I would listen on FM, in stereo, while I was cleaning my teeth, or when I was making my dinner, or whatever. The quality, you know, the way I accessed that audio was through a radio. And since the internet invented was invented, and particularly since mobile phones, smartphones were invented in the early 2000s, I mean, while mobile phones were just phones, they were phones, they weren't mini computers. But as soon as the iPhone event was invented and then the Samsung Galaxy range and the other 
smartphones were invented, suddenly you had a mini computer. You had a radio, you had a phone, you had a computer, you had uh, a television, you had all sorts, you had a screen. So it changes the way you, that is your radio now. But it does other things as well. So the access to the audio, that content, which it stops being programs as we understand them, but just becomes some other content. And that, the, the director of the BBC in about 2007, six, seven, somewhere around there, said, he's, he published a paper and he said, we've, I want people to know that we've stopped producing programmes, we're now producing content. And that idea that content was what we, was available in different forms, in different platforms, in different locations, and in, to consume in different ways is a major change. So, yes, you can put pictures with it because you have a screen. But intrinsically, the material is the same. It's just how you access that material that is different. But that does change the way you experience it. Because if you have a screen, you don't have to have something on the screen. But if you have something on the screen, it maybe helps or hinders the way you listen to that program. So there are changes, there are inevitable changes, but they are not as big as perhaps they seem to be, I would say. What can you actually do feature about? Like, I mean, you can do it about everything, right? Yeah. But but how? What should be in the feature, you know, to make it interesting or something? You can do a feature about anything. Anything. There's nothing that you can't do a feature about. And the, the, you know, the, the key is a good story. And it can be something very small. Very, 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 very small. I, one of my colleagues who was making a program for a series that I used to edit wanted to do a program. He wanted to do a program about um, a woman because he met this character and she was very interesting. And she ran a, um, a sanctuary for... Uh, animals that had been lost. They were, you know, they'd been abandoned, cats mainly. And she was just a very good interviewee. She was a good talker. She had interesting character. And he went to start recording this program. He went to visit her. And in the sanctuary at that moment was a little old lady. Just a little old lady. Just anybody. She was anybody. She didn't wasn't anybody special. He hadn't met her beforehand. And she'd lost her cat. And he changed the program entirely. And the person who ran this sanctuary for lost cats became minor character. And suddenly the, the program was about the old lady and her cat and the cat that had gone and how she suddenly felt that her life had become nothing and she was looking for her cat. And for half an hour, we heard about the old lady and her cat. So it's tiny, 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 tiny story. She was an ordinary person that he met by accident. She wasn't famous. She was an ordinary person. But the story, the narrative, the drama was absolutely compelling. And I tell that story only because it is as small as 
you can get, frankly. And it was an accidental program because he hadn't intended to make a program with this woman, but it was the story that, that was good. At the same time, you tell a story about kings and queens and princesses and big stories. You tell the story of nations. You tell the story of history, of the history of the Czech Republic, about how, you know, uh, Mr. Dubček fell in the, in the 1968 revolution, about Jan Palak. You tell these stories, these big stories. They are huge stories, huge stories on the world scale. You tell the story of the origins of humankind. And you tell the story about a lost cat. There's nothing you can't tell a story about. How should one recognize that the story is good and deserve, you know, the feature? <laughs> uh, well, it's... I would, I would use this, this word curios, curiosity again. It, it, I think that program, program ideas have to somehow stimulate a curiosity. And if, if you've heard a story many times before, and it can be a sort of story that is really tragic about somebody who is dying of cancer, but I've heard many, 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 many sad stories about people dying of cancer. But tell me the story about somebody who is dying of cancer that is perhaps somebody famous, Perhaps somebody who is very eloquent, perhaps somebody who has, you know, has for some reason makes that story special. And that is suddenly, I am interested, I am curious, because it is different. So one element of what makes it a good program is something that in some way separates it from all the other stories. What was it about this old lady and her little cat was that it was the way that it the loss of the cat, the missing cat, told you about her. And it also was a story for every person, every listener, because we've all had moments of loss, dependency and loss. So it was a universal story filtered through this one human narrative. So there is not one thing that tells you what makes a good story, but character is important, universality or particularity. Is it typical or is it special? I often ask this question. In what way does this, is this idea special? Why is it different from all the other programs about lost cats? What makes it really special? And does it, does it move you? Does it, is there a way, is there enough? I, 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 I'll give you an example. I can only do it through examples. I looked after a program recently from a colleague in BBC. His, a friend of his had bought a jacket, a piece of clothing, from an army surplus shop. And uh, it was an American piece of American uniform. And he put his hand in the pocket, this person, and he pulled out a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, it said, to whom it may concern. This jacket belonged to, and then he, there was a name, of 1st Regiment something, American Army. And if I were to be the editor of this program, why, what was, 
the pro program was who was who'd written the note who was who had this jacket belonged to and who was he who was he and why had he sold it why did he no longer have it the curiosity of this story you can feel the beginnings of a story it's like a ball of wool that unravels that sort of you think ah well that might lead you there and that might da, 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 da. what we don't know curiosity the fascination of that story and it was the most fantastic story as they discovered who the gentleman who'd owned this jacket was what his story was that took him to America took them to America they traveled to America and discovered he died but his relatives were still around um, and it then transpired that he had actually himself been born in Northern Ireland he'd been born in Belfast so the story had a wonderful circularity of time. so what is it about that story it's, it was a piece of paper in somebody's pocket in a jacket that had been bought in a shop for second-hand clothes so but you're Human curiosity is the story, the mystery. There is an element of mystery in a lot of programs. I think is is very strong. It sounds like that curiosity is very. The, it's a, it's an editorial judgment. I, I'm, I would, I would be interested in. I am curious about people, as a, as a person. I'm, uh, whether I'm a broadcaster or I'm interested in people. I'm interested in what makes people tick. I'm interested in psychology um, in an amateur way. And so whenever I make a program, I always want to know what's going on in somebody's head. You know, why they ask, why they do things, motivation. Why did this woman in America react with such compassion to this dreadful event where she was raped why why did she react surprisingly she didn't say i want this man arrested hanged murdered you know killed judicially killed i don't want this she didn't because she was interesting she was different she wanted actually not even to go to court she did and he was convicted but she didn't want to originally she didn't want to because she thought he'd had enough of a bad life. He didn't want him to have any more bad things happen, despite the fact that she had had such an experience. So I'm in naturally intrigued by why people do this. And I think that that is, so if you like, you can call that curiosity. I think that's me as an editor. I am interested in, in that element, in, and that human beings, people are what make features tick. Really, they are the backbone of, of features. It's human beings and the dramas that they find themselves within, whether they're big ones or tiny little ones like the cat. And one is curious about this. I mean, I can't... I, it, I wouldn't say that curiosity is the, is the, the fundamental um, driving force, but it is, it's what drives me, because I'm interested in, you know, what people are doing, why they do them, what, the circumstances in which they find themselves, and you know, how they resolve those issues. So I made a program for a series that I looked after editorially a few years ago in which, I mean, it was very banal circumstances. Okay, it was a house which had lodgers, people who lived, who paid rent. So there were, the program was called Room for Rent. And the idea was to have a new lodger coming to live in this house. 
So it was established three or four people living in this house and somebody new came. So it was, if you like, what we call a pebble in the pond. It was the ripples. You throw a pebble into a pond and the ripples go out and you think, how does this new person arrive? So it's a very, very traditional documentary form. Very, very form, simple form of story. So far, so ordinary. But, so we, but my colleague who researched this program for me um, found a, a, a household which was really interesting, where the people who were involved had very complicated relationships. And they were very different types. They were all different. And they all had different stories of their own to tell, particularly the woman who ran the house, whose house it was, and her daughter who lived there as well. And they each had their dreams. And the new arrival was part of the story, but actually, in the end, his arrival wasn't the most important thing in the fact. As we came to discuss it and review, record the various stages, it became a different sort of program. So something which was quite conventional, i.e. a new lodger arriving in a house of already established people, was actually not very important. What was interesting was the setup of this family, this non-family that was a family, because the mother and the daughter were there, but the husband had been, they were divorced, and the other three were a surrogate family. They were all musicians, as it turned out, different sorts of music. One was a, a man who, who, who put up scaffolding. He was a young man of 18, and he, he, he put up scaffolding on buildings. And he had 13 guitars, 13 electric guitars. And he had, his own story was amazingly complicated. He, his his background was had terrible, terrible background. Very sad, very sad background, personal background. And you, it, this was like discovering boxes in a in a in a wall. As you, you know, it was a set of boxes, open closed boxes, and you opened each one, and they were all under the same roof. But the mother was the mother who was sort of the mother of all of them, although she wasn't. She was only the mother of the daughter, but she looked after them all. So it became a completely different something which was very, very simple and very predictable, the new lodger. Actually just became a story of this strange house with little compartments, little rooms, each of which had a story but which connected in some way to the others. And it was one of the programmes I was most proud of, actually, uh, I made in the last ten years because it, was, it wasn't what I expected it to be and it changed from being conventional to being slightly more exceptional. Where is the border between, you said, you said boulevard, or like these, you know, newspaper and scandal, somebody sleeping, you know, this. Um, so where is the border between this kind of, you know, interviews? And because in features or in, in documentaries, sometimes you go very intimate, you know, and, mm -hmm. but where is the border? Is there a border? <laughs> I mean, you know, documentaries, no, I don't think. It, I mean, I said you said what? What you asked me? What? What can you put in a documentary? You can make a documentary about anything, and you can make a documentary about a scandal. Yeah, why not? You can make it. It can be very, very um, rough, very difficult, um, and often is very good when it's quite sensational. Yes, I. I don't think that's that's not off limits. 
and I've made some quite difficult documentaries in my time. But um, you can make a documentary. You know, but how do you how do you, how do you draw a line? I don't think there is a line. I think I think you you know there are elements of there are questions of taste. There are questions of which are appropriate for you know is it appropriate to do a program about this on your on your channel on your network? Is that the sort of program that would be right for your listeners. But usually, if you want to do something very difficult, you can put it out late at night. If there's lots of swearing in it or, you know, it's, uh, it might, be, might offend people, you can put a warning on the beginning of the program and say this program may offend people. But no, there's no, uh, there are legal, legal parameters. You know, libel, you can't, mustn't do things that are illegal. But because then the radio company is liable for that, but you know, we mustn't do that. Um, but no, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing you can't do, and, and, and plenty of programs do. And you know, there are documentaries on television now which are so surprising and so shocking that, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not interested in shocking documentaries. I'm interested in really surprising, but not, you know, I don't want to shock just to shock. No, there's no reason. There's no, there's no border. There's no moral border. There's no artistic border. Yeah. There's appropriacy. What's appropriate? What's right? What, what do you want to do for this audience? Yeah. Because sometimes it's, I think, very hard to decide, like when the respondent uh, says, you know, some very intimate things to you, then you need to decide if you use it in the future mm -hmm. or not, because mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. it's very which is very hard. Do you have any, you know, um, yeah, I, advice? Or? I can, I, well, I can tell you a very, uh, again, another anecdote. Um, I, I'm going to have to stop soon, but um, one anecdote. Yes, I was making, we, the, there was a moment when the controller of our channel said, I want to do a sex season. I want to have a real uh, examination of sexuality and sex, and I'm going to put it on at nine in the morning, a big, prime, big audience, very big audience, the biggest audience of the day. Um, and he had some very, very powerful stories. We, I was looking after quite a, a chunk of this material. Um, and he got worried, <laughs> he got quite worried, um, because he had, um, there was a gay Muslim doctor on it, which was, of course, strictly uh, against Islam. He was, and he was admitting, enjoying being gay. And he got very worried about that. And I said, look, you, you don't worry about it. He's, you know, he, he's not saying anything. He's not saying anything that is either unpleasant. He's, he's being talking about it in the most positive terms. You may feel worried about it, but it's not in, inappropriate. It's not shocking. It's only shocking if you put a particular, uh, uh, a particular view on it. But it, it wasn't, broadly speaking, speaking shocking. But no, I then, I made a, did an interview with, or rather, a colleague of mine was doing the interviewing. I was producing it with an elderly lady, who was, I think, nearly ninety, and she was telling the story. And she wasn't present in the studio. She was on a line. She was on a on a music line, a wide, good quality line from another city. And we were interviewing her, um, and she was talking about her first, her sexual encounters and how she'd enjoyed sex. 
And as I said, she was in her late 80s or, or 90s, and she actually said that her husband had died while she, he, they were making love. And the interviewer who was in the studio with me looked at me, open-mouthed. I mean, and I was sitting there saying, you know, this is amazing. She has, is 90, and he died two years ago. They were in their 80s, and he was making love to her when he died. He was on top of her. Very shocking. It was very shocking. It was very shocking, but of course, I'm a journalist, and so I was very interested, of course. And I was thinking, this is amazing. Just an amazing story, told by the woman herself. Um, but she told it, and she was honest. It was raw, it was honest, and it was real. And a day later, she said, I don't want you to use that story. So we didn't use it. We tried to persuade her. We said, you know, they can't identify. We will, you can be anonymous. We don't want to identify you, you know, if you're fine. But she said, no, I don't want you to use this story. So we didn't use it. Um, so, fine, we didn't use it. But I wouldn't have stopped from using it because it was an amazing, you know, if, if she had said, yes, you may, uh, we would have used it because it was an amazing story. And you don't hear that very often. Older people talking about sex in such a raw way. And it was very real. It was, and it, was, it wasn't in bad taste. It was very, it was lovely. She was a very kind, lovely sounding woman. She talked about it in very warm terms. It was very warm. It was just a bit sad. So does that answer your question at all? I'm not sure I, it does, but... Well, partly. <laughs> because sometimes you just need to decide yourself. Yeah. You know? Because sometimes the person wouldn't say that, don't use it, because he, I don't know, doesn't uh, realize that it could be, you know, that you need to... Edwin, Edwin yesterday said that if somebody said, don't use this piece of information, he said, sit on it, wait for two weeks, and then come back to them and say, you really sure you don't want me to use that? And that they will probably change their mind. That's absolutely true, and that is... You know, that is a very, very good piece of advice because people say, oh, I don't, you mustn't tell that story about so-and-so. No, no, no. And actually, they're not. it's just in the moment. There is a momentary reaction. They don't want to. But then they say, but of course, it was nothing. It was really, you know, water under the bridge, as we say in, in English. Um, and, and that's absolutely true, except in her case, we didn't. So the answer is, you know, you can you can do programs about anything, and you you just, I think you have to, you have to judge what the audience at a particular time of day, a particular audience is in a position to be able to accept, and how much warning you give them, how much you say you can say, you know, this program may not be suitable for children. And you have to be careful when you're broadcasting something if children are available to listen. I mean, we have often had problems over, you know, when, when halfway through the school year there are holidays, so when children are on holiday, um, you have to be careful what you broadcast at 11 o'clock in the morning. Normally, at 11 o'clock in the morning, we have a documentary that goes out every day at 11 o'clock, and uh, mostly you can put adult material, ordinary material, out at 11 o'clock. But when the children are on holiday, you have to be careful not to put 
that sort of material out or to warn people. Otherwise, the audience will complain, and rightly, and we may be censured by the authorities. So, again, you have to be careful. I am going to have to go, I'm afraid. Yeah, of course. I, I want to walk to, because I've got to go to the hotel, so. Yeah, of course, yeah. I'm afraid, Teresa, I have to stop. Yeah, it's, we have one hour and 15 minutes. So Far too much. <laughs>